Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. everybody, it's Eddie Trunk, and welcome to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. It's new every Thursday at Podcast One or, of course, Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening wherever you do so around the world and spreading the word about the Eddie Trunk Podcast as we continue to bring you great interviews every single week. Hope you guys enjoyed what I had for you last week. That was kind of cool. A little something different. Pretty special. Uh, the great Joe Perry of Aerosmith, Lou Graham of Foreigner, podcast-exclusive interviews that originated from my Access TV show, Trunk Fest. As I was saying, you know, it's a bummer because I do these interviews with people for TV, and it's been the case ever since I was doing that metal show back in the day, where you do these long interviews with people, and then the editors get a hold of it, and you get about three minutes of a 30-minute conversation, and some great stuff is often left on the cutting room floor. So it was really cool, and I appreciate Access TV allowing me to access the audio and be able to bring it to you uncensored of the complete conversations with those two legendary classic artists. If you missed that interview or you missed last week's podcast, be sure to grab it. Be sure to grab all of the podcasts. Hold on to them. Listen to them. Do what you will. Download, stream, and appreciate you guys uh, checking it out. Another couple great interviews for you this week. Before we get to those, though, I hope everybody had a great Labor Day holiday weekend and enjoyed whatever it is that you did. And now we're full steam ahead with football season. As a matter of fact, if you're listening to this on post day, which is a Thursday, tonight the football season officially kicks off. If you're here in the U.S., you know how important that is to us hardcore football fans. Extremely excited about that. And uh, a big Giants fan, I have no idea, most people not with high expectations for my team, but I'm being optimistic, so we'll see. But enjoy the games, folks. They're here tonight, this weekend. Real football is back. Extremely exciting if you're a big fan like I am. Also, I want to let you know, tomorrow, the 6th of September, 
And again, every time I talk is if you guys are listening to this on the day it posts. So take that into consideration. But tomorrow, Friday, sixth day of September, I'm going to be doing a speaking Q&A show in New Bedford, Mass. at the Vault Music Hall. Hope you guys all come out and join me. Always a fun time when we do these. Live Stump the Trunk. Usually a couple bands play. I come out and tell some stories, do some Q&A, give away some prizes. So if you're in the New England area, come on out and see me tomorrow, September 6th, Friday, at the Vault Music Hall in New Bedford, Mass. Should be a lot of fun. Also, upcoming appearances include September 13th in Tulsa, and that is at the Ideal Ballroom for L.A. Guns. Always a lot of fun. And I'll be back in Oklahoma September 20th in Shawnee, Oklahoma, outside of Oklahoma City, hosting a show at Fire Lake Arena with Deep Purple, Pat Travers, Joyous Wolf. That should be a blast as well. So a couple Oklahoma gigs coming up, and then I head over to Los Angeles and get ready to host Sammy Hagar's High Tide Beach Party in Orange County, California, and that'll be the last weekend of September. So we got a lot of stuff going on. Follow on Twitter at Eddie Trunk, up to the second news info and updates, Instagram at Eddie Trunk, fan page on Facebook, and eddietrunk.com, the official online home, most active, most up to the second on Twitter, if you're going to do any of it, again, at Eddie Trunk. So that's what's going on in a nutshell, and then there's a lot of other things in October. Just check the homepage of my site and keep an eye on that Twitter feed as we go. I want to tell you about this week's interviews because this one where last week we went very much classic, very much 70s, this week we are going to go more 90s, I guess you could say. But before we get into our two great guests this week, let me tell you about Pluto TV because Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. You can watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand. And it's all completely free. Pluto TV never asks for a credit card. You don't even need to sign up to watch for free. Pluto TV, it's the easy, completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies completely free. So what are you waiting for? You never pay for TV again by downloading Pluto TV. You can download Pluto TV for free on all of your favorite devices today, including your phone, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, Smart TVs, PlayStation, and anywhere else you stream. I have been fed, that's a fact. I have been fed, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir, PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, friggins! You've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. So this week, we go back to interviews that originate from my Sirius XM show on Volume, Channel 106. Rock Talk Show every day, live 2 to 4 Eastern on Volume. And that is called Trunk Nation. It airs live 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time every single weekday. And it replays every night, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern time. And it's available on demand anytime you want as well on the SiriusXM app. Here on 
the podcast after a couple weeks of those interviews being out and about on the SiriusXM platforms. I can cherry pick one or two and bring them to you for everybody to hear around the world totally free. And that's what I'm going to do this week. First up, we will begin the conversation with a visit from Jonathan Davis of Corn and Head from Corn. Both of these guys dropped by my studio in New York City to talk a little bit about their tour with Allison Chains, which I believe at this point has wrapped up, but I could be wrong. There could be more of it. And also their album and uh, that is coming and just their overall general story, uh, just a little bit of a catch up and a little bit of a drop by with Jonathan Davis and Head from Corn. Of course, I just did some stuff with Head for my L.A. Invasion out in Los Angeles a month or so ago. But Jonathan and Head drop by, and you'll hear that first, followed by a visit from Shavo from the band System of a Down. That interview took place in my Sirius XM studio in Los Angeles, the West Coast studios when I was out there. Uh, Shavo, it's interesting, I don't don't really know him all that well, but we connected at a birthday party about a month and a half ago for our mutual friend, John Five. And I went to John's party. I sat next to Shavo. We were talking and we were trying to remember if we had met each other before and had done something before. We couldn't remember exactly what it was, but we knew it was something. Good guy. We got to talk and exchange numbers. I said, hey, next time I'm in L.A., you want to come on the show? He said, absolutely. And you got him here tonight on the podcast. Shavo talks a little bit about System and some of the shows they've done and some of the, you know, sort of disconnect in that band, I guess you could say at times. Also some other projects and businesses he's working on. System of a Down, a huge band, uh, very successful. And I think they do very well because one of the reasons why, besides the fact that people love their music and they're good at what they do, is they actually don't play all that often. So it's an event when they do. And that's some of the stuff I talked to with Shavo. So first up, Jonathan and Head from Corn. That's only about 15, 20 minutes, followed by Shavo of System of a Down. And that one will go for about almost an hour, I think. So very extended, lengthy Eddie Trunk podcast with two huge acts from the 90s, bringing them to you, uh, members of each, here on this week's podcast. So get ready for that. That is uh, coming up in a matter of minutes on this week's Eddie Trunk podcast. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, it's time to turn it up with your new favorite podcast, Expeditiously. <laughs> yeah, I can say it. Expeditiously with T.I. here on Podcast One. Join the rapper, entrepreneur, family man, and activist as he bridges the gap and sheds light on important social topics and much more in an authentic eyebrow-raising dialogue that might make you want to pull out your dictionary. Download new episodes of Expeditiously, I got it right, with T.I. every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Okay, as promised, some great interviews for you this week from 90s hard rock artists. We will start off with Jonathan Davis and Brian Head Welsh from Korn. 
They swung by my studio in New York City on Sirius XM. This was probably about a month ago, and they were getting ready to do their thing with Alice in Chains out there on the road, also talking a little bit about their newest record, which is coming out. So let's get into that right now. Head and Jonathan Davis of Corn first up, and Shavo from System of a Down coming up right afterwards on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Jonathan Davis, Brian Head Welsh of Corn are here and in the house for a few minutes. Good to see you guys. Thanks for having us, man. Yeah, man. You're, how's the uh, the tour with Alice in Chains rolling along? How's that been going? All right. It's amazing, incredible. Yeah, Love it. It's just cool to tour with those guys. Basically, really big, huge influence on us early on, and uh, you get them see them play every night. It's just their own vibe. It's their own thing. It's just really cool to see them. Pretty amazing how good William is too, huh? Yeah, that, totally. I mean, those are, uh, needless to say, huge shoes. But yeah. he, he, him and Jerry, the way their voices work together and and playing guitar, you know, he's yeah. adding that extra guitar in there is really cool as well. It is. The whole thing is just dope. I love it. Are you? How has the audiences gone down? Because you guys are obviously, I mean, di- very different bands musically, but I would think share a lot of audience too, right? Yeah, we've been there's been a lot of people there, so I think so, yeah. Um it's uh it's a little bit more their stuff's a little bit more mellow and then when we come out it's just more chaotic, but I think overall it's just the same same uh fan base and everyone's just having a good time. Mm-hmm. I was talking to Jerry the other day and I was just telling him it's just like it's just special, man. When they go on, it's there's something special with all cuz every song you're just like, "Wow! Wow!" You know, and uh, Rooster from Rooster and the Man in the Box to, uh, you know, just all those classics. And just you could see everybody just right there in in unity singing. It's really special. Isn't it amazing how music like what Alice in Chains does and even your own music now with this new record coming, like not to date you guys in any way, but it it, it has become a, a generation's classic rock in a sense, hasn't it? Do you feel that? I mean, it really, you look out there, I mean, if you're 35, 40, between 35, 45 years old, your your classic rock is Corn <laughs> and Alice in Chains, right? We're classic rock now. <laughs> <laughs> you so embrace strange. that, Jonathan? You yeah. okay with that? Oh, whatever, man. <laughs> I don't fight about nothing anymore, but yeah, it's amazing. Now, not not to say obviously you still yeah. make very credible and and great new music as well, but you you look at that that audience and that demographic and you I grew up with you, man. And yeah, like, you, you hear that, but that's cool as hell. That's that we're one of the, we're one of those you know one of those bands. People grew up. He's like you were the band that got me through high school, or you got through this. And we still look out there, and there's all those people, but there's also a lot of kids too. Still, yeah. it's they're bringing their kids and. It's crazy. There's still a lot of young people there, and people still digging it. It's, it's awesome. So when you started, when you guys started this band now, a little over 25 years ago already, did you ever envision this sort of longevity? Did you ever envision getting to this place? Because the music you came out making and that you introduced to the world was not not like anything anybody had ever heard before. No, it was a battle trying to get anything. At that time, we were just trying to find the where we had a home we would be playing with all kinds of bands but here 25 years later i mean get up on that mic jonathan a little I'm bit sorry. more please if you can. um 25 years later who would think we'd still be here i think i don't think any of us thought would that would would go down usually bands last i don't know 10 years something like that not 25 what do you think at least and we were on a small label you know uh what was it called immortal immortal um and so I thought we were going to be like an underground 
band. I thought we'd be like a big underground band, you know. I thought because we had a, a unique show and everything, and but no, not this. Not twenty five years later, and still putting out an album that is just really heavy and current. And I'm just really proud and thankful and grateful for where we're at in life. Honestly, yeah, still make, I think we still make great music. Well, judging from the new stuff, two two songs have been out so far. Yeah, twenty five years deep, and it's still like this is awesome. But but you know, go ahead, Head. He said that Jonathan said like it's like we won the lottery, you know, and it feels like that sometimes. Well, you know the thing that amazes me about you guys because I remember having worked in radio radio forever. I remember getting blind and playing it for the first time, and he and I at that time was just doing a metal show. I was doing a weekly metal show, and. It was so unbelievably different than anything I had heard at that time. And it fit because it was so heavy and so jarring. But I remember listening to that, and this just shows how much of a brain I have, saying, these guys are heavy. Like, I don't know where they're going to get airplay or where this is going to go. And now here we are 25 years later, and you guys get a lot of radio play. Like, you, you've you had radio success. Yeah. That, to me, is maybe the single most important thing, most uh, uh, surprising thing about your career, is that how embraced rock radio, how rock radio has embraced you guys, right. for the most part, throughout your career, making very uncompromising heavy music. Where do you think that came from? Why do you think that is? Most bands would kill for that. Yeah, it just happened. I don't know. Yeah. At the time, we had a great. Well, we were started on Immortal, and then when things started happening, Sony took it. Epic grab it. So we had that Dream Team when we Cheryl Valentine and Schmitty over at Epic back then, working all that stuff. The radio people, yeah. every, our management back then were just crazy bulldogs and hungry. Um, but and when it all came down, it was people had never heard anything like that again. And I guess at that time the music was kind of coming stale. This it needed a something. It needs something need to happen, and we were probably that band that helped. One one radio station jumps on it. A few like you know how the radio works. A couple tastemaker stations jumped in. Everybody starts jumping on it, and we just got lucky. Bottom line, I think. And then the fans, you know, they were they were like bugging all the stations. Play it, play it, play it, play it. And so I think fans made them cave a little bit too. When you guys all came together initially to to put corn together. Was that part of the mission statement to do something that was people hadn't heard before and, and really almost create a, a new sort of genre, a new sound? Dude, this just happened. I really, I mean, was there any formula? We were into Bungle, Mr. Bungle, you know? Right. And so we had some weird things like that, and uh, but it just kind of happened. He's right. It just We just wrote the songs we loved, and we were fans of... Every every type of music from from uh, you know like uh, heavy metal, heavy heavy groove stuff like you know Sepultura and Prong and Metallica, obviously all those bands. But then there was like Nine Inch Nails, and he was a new romantic music and the new wave or I don't want to yeah, put that's words. Yeah, like Dread and all the stuff. Well, I remember I, I, gangster rap. I was, I was saying was like, this off the air before Jonathan got here. Like I when I would see you guys at festivals over the years, and, and when we were doing that metal show, I would always go up to Jonathan and be like, "Dude, you got to come on, man. We'd love to have you on your fans." And you used to always say to me, "You're like." I don't want to do that, man, because I don't really know much about metal. I don't really like that. <laughs> I don't I'm want like, to look like ass on the corn. air. What are you doing, man? No, that's what made it so good. It's just the different personalities in this band. I thought you were saying it made it so good to get you out of doing the show by having that excuse. But no, but <laughs> I really couldn't. I didn't. I got really in the middle once I met these guys when I got on the band. And, I mean, the first record that changed my whole thing was uh, 
Pantera's Vulgar Display of Power. Uh-huh. And then I started digging heavy music, and then I got in the band, and they're like, you haven't heard Sepultura? I'm like, what's that? And then so I started listening to Sepultura, and then it led on to all this other stuff. And at the time, I was like, I don't want to sound like I don't know what I'm talking about, because I really didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you would have gotten by just fine, because you're Jonathan Davis from Corn. It would have worked just fine. Yeah. But, but, but that's cool that... Like, you came from it from a different angle. Like, you said your favorite band is or was Duran Duran. Yeah, one of my favorites is Duran Which Duran is Duran. actually, you know, to me, I think it's a travesty they're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or not oh, even dude. that they haven't even been considered for it. But yeah. but that was the band that introduced you to music? That's where it all started for you? Well, no. For me, it all started uh, when I was like three years old. Andy Lord Weber's Jesus Christ Superstar. Your, your parents played that for you? you my, just My dad and mom and stepdad. Did a local production of it in Bakersfield where we grew up. So that's when I first saw it was young. Mm-hmm. And that my dad was a musician. I grew up all around music. But that that started it. Then I was totally into show tunes and all that stuff. Growing up as a kid. And then, what was it? My first, like, f- record. I mean, when MTV hit in 81. I was 10 years old. So I saw a video called The Radio Star. We were actually at Test Market, Bakersfield was, when that hit. And then I just sat my ass in front of that TV. Wait, you saw MTV when it signed on? Yes. Really? You too had? Uh, I didn't. I got it late. You got it. But you saw it. Like, you actually saw the sign on. The sign on. You knew it was coming on. Yes, I did. Wow, that's wild, man. I wish I would have known that. (laughs) (laughs) I would have come over. I mean, I, I got it a little bit after, and I just remember seeing, like, that they were playing Triumph. They were playing, yeah. like, Pat Benatar and all these. so good. I would sit there for hours and just wait and just watch. I loved everything. Yeah. Yeah, everything Every- about it. All those, just, the 80s, they had so many different styles of music at that time. You had just everything. I just plopped my ass down and just, just watch. I just loved that channel. You know, there's a documentary that's just come out about MTV. And really? it's, yeah, it's called uh, I Want My MTV. And it's exactly about the sign on, how the channel was formed and put together, and the sign on. And it's done with the cooperation of MTV. So they have the old footage and all that. And, and uh, it's definitely awesome when it comes out. I'll see if I can get you guys yeah, a link so you it. can see it because you, you'll love seeing it. And it talks about the test markets they were in. They don't say it was I Jonathan because, Davis's house, but. But no, I, knew, I found out because I lived in, when I lived in Malibu, I lived next to Martha. Martha Quinn. Yes. Really? Oh, really? Yes. So Lucky. she she's like, you were there when I go. Where? She go. Where were you at? I'm like, I lived in Bakersfield. She checked. Yeah, you were one of the test markets. Uh, that's why. So I knew it was like I was there. I watched it. I saw it. And how how kid. ironic is that 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 kid ends up fronting corn, <laughs> yeah. who lives on MTV for years. Yes. I mean, and still, I mean, you had you guys had a tremendous run with music yeah. videos on MTV. That yeah. was another, I'm sure, a big player in what we talked about in the band getting airplay too, because yeah, yeah. video almost had to push radio at that point it did it was i think it was bigger at that point Terrell and all that stuff was going on when we were doing that we were going to be in pop bands it was just a crazy time we were showing up there and there was like we'd have to have police escorts and it was a madness we actually got escorted out of the city one time really yeah Wow, that is why. Because it was man. just too many people or I'll get out. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. Let me, uh, I know we have limited time here, so let's talk about the new record. The new record is called The Nothing, yeah. and it's out September 13th. Tell me a little bit about this one. Two songs out already from it, right? Yeah. The, the newest one is Cold, yes. which just came out. And yes. then you'd released a track, I guess, a month or so ago, a little... If that, even if that long ago, right? There's two, like there's two yeah. tracks out. You'll right? never find tra- me. Yeah, you'll never find me. Which yep. there's a video for. Speaking of videos, you did a video for that one yeah. as well. Yep. So going into this record, you know what is what? What album number is this for you guys? Thirteen. 
13 records. That's insane. 13 and 25 years. I still <laughs> feel like you're like a new band to me, man. I, God, I'm so freaking old. I know. <laughs> crazy, right? 13 records. 13. So when you get ready to make this record, what's like? What's the <clears throat> mandate going in? Is there anything different about this one in the process or anything we should know? I think it's just um, getting together and jamming for me, Ray, and Monkey, and the, the producer, well, Fieldy, the bass player, would come in when he could. Um, he's got five kids. But, uh, um, yeah, just kind of um, the last record I was really proud of, and we all loved it. But I think there were some songs that he didn't really love. And so we were really we really wanted him to like what we did. And he feels bad over there because he's like, he wants to like it, but, you know, you just can't love everything, right? And so we were sending him songs, and he was like, yay or nay, or giving us notes. Won't you do this? Try this. Da-da. And we would say, like, what, what should, we'd hit him a text or whatever. What should we do today? And he's like, Pantera. Just think heavy, Pantera. Do something like that. And so we'd send him a song. He'd be like, From awesome. the non-metal guy, by the way. Right. Well, you, you heard him, uh, Vulgar Display of Power. That right. was his Display intro. Power, but so, that, to me, is an, <clears throat> I know it's a middle record, but it's just groove, dude. That thing groove. Well, that's the thing. This The, yeah. the connection with Pantera and Korn that's really obvious when you say that is in the groove. The groove. I mean, you, you guys are almost a metal funk band at times. Without... That's what I've always thought. That's why I'm like saying this, the metal to me is Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, that kind of stuff. It's more like straightforward. This makes you move. Right. You can dance to it. You can do that stuff. So that was my... The way I see the band, whether people see it, it's whatever. It's just music, but um, yeah, I love I love what we do. I love that. And they would send me stuff, and if I'm feeling it, and I, and I catch something, and I'll hear a melody right away, and I go for it. And this one, they really came through. The last one, I was just like, okay, I, I felt bad, but it's like they put so much time and heart into it. Yeah. I'm not going to be that guy. Say no, I'm not going to sing on this. No, that's I'm just going to do whatever I could best whatever i'd come up with the best i could do and uh, but this one every song was just amazing and lyric lyrics do you write you write all the lyrics yeah. right jonathan mm-hmm. so if they bring you a song that you're not 100 percent feeling but you kind of are going to go with it to be the team guy a little bit mm-hmm. is that tougher to write lyrics for is it t- tougher to come up with an idea for it it's tougher to come up with an idea lyrics i just i hate lyrics they just that's i wait to the last second <laughs> but and then I need the pressure to come under it, and then I'll do it. It takes me about, I'll write in about a song about half hour, forty five minutes. But, um, and it's whatever's going on in my life at the time too that just inspires me to write. But I really don't think about it. It's more like stream of consciousness. Whatever's going to come out comes out. I will say that there was one left on this record that uh, he, he was just like, "Yeah, we're done," and I'm, I don't think about that one. The, our manager Bino, he begged him to do it. And now it's his. Fra- it's your favorite record every, uh, song. Every time the last one, I'm like, I'm done. I don't even want this, and I have to do one more, and that usually ends up being my favorite. You're one. done in that. You're just done yeah. with the record, or you're yeah. not feeling the song. I'm not feeling the song. I'm like, I don't. Want, I mean, I got enough. This is great. The record's great. I don't know about this song. And then the yeah. last one was harder, and then harder. We did this song harder, and. uh that's my favorite on the record. <laughs> they right? always say it, too. I'm like, no, no, I'm done. I don't want this. But then I'm like, all right, I'll go in there. And then I start feeling like, okay, it's actually done. Because I start to miss that. I want to get that fix, the creativity fix. Like when you get done with a song. So I'm like, I'm done. Okay. And then I walk away and go, all right, just one more. I just need one more fix. And I do and I end up, that's like the best one. Outside of cover tunes, has there ever been a time where anybody has written lyrics for a corn song other than you? Mm-mm. So you've always... I've collaborated with other people, but it's just mostly, yeah, always just me. And it's an agonizing process for you? 
it's something that I, I mean, I, it's probably just how I, I hate it because I'm facing my demons and that's why I hate it so much because I'm pouring out emotions I don't want to deal with. That's mm. why I probably hate it. So you much. find it therapeutic though when you're done? Very, very, very. That's why. You I, do? Yeah. I'm purging. I'm just getting it out. Right. That's just the way I do it. And that's probably why there's so much emotion and power in Korn's music, not just musically, but lyrically. I mean, yeah. it's it's coming from your coming from my your soul, dark ass life. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the music too, you know. It's uh, it complements it, man. When you're when you're when you're getting ready to do an album, you're looking like at this mountain you have to climb, and you have zero songs, you know. And it's just like, oh, and then you feel a little anxiety, like, oh, what are we gonna do? Is it gonna be good? And da da da, just start plowing away. And I think maybe you maybe you feel like that a little bit too, where you got all these songs you got to write lyrics for. That's how we feel musically. It's just it's it's a lot sometimes, you know. Mm. It is. You guys have also become. As uh, you know, from where I sit, being out there on the road quite a bit myself, you guys have been become, become like the kings, one of the kings of American rock festivals. We have so many rock festivals now in America, and yeah. you guys are on a ton of them yeah. on a regular basis. Do you enjoy playing festivals? You must, I would think. But do you like that environment? I love it. You do? Yeah. It's just, there's nothing like it. I just feed off that energy. It's just so many people just... I don't know, I'm an energy vampire, I guess. I don't know. I just feel, I love to feel that. But I also like like small, sweaty club gigs, too. It just depends. It's, it's all different. Right, right. Yeah. Well, my thanks to Jonathan and Head from Corn. Enjoyed that conversation. We'll take a break, and we will come back and get into some great conversation with Shavo from System of a Down next on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. This, this is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. It's Eddie Trunk, and this is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. I promised you two interviews this week, and I'm going to make good with that promise because right now we're going to visit with Shavo of the band System of a Down. Shavo is uh, a guy that I got to know recently. As I was saying earlier, I met him at John Five's birthday party. He came into my studio when I was doing shows from L.A. probably not even a month ago, talked about System, talked about a bunch of other great stuff as well. So here you go, Shavo of System of a Down on the podcast. Enjoy. Shavo from System of a Down is here. Give oh, me yeah. the proper pronunciation of your last name. Odajian. Odajian. I yeah. had it right. I said you had it, it before. Perfect. You heard it? I said. I said, think I had it down. I had, it was great. Shavo Odajian <laughs> from System of a Down is here. I, uh, I think the interview, now that I think about it, you had started some sort of website or music community thing your session I had your started session that. yeah yeah that that's was what i think we talked about oh eight i think it was oh eight what what oh, is seven. that still so, going no it's it's called soundcloud now <laughs> oh really i swear i had that idea and i started the website uh the company just didn't get funded and my partner just wasn't so honest with me and i learned then on you know business and how people can screw you um and I, it kind of fizzled away after we dropped a bunch of money and got, you know, I was doing press tours. I came to New York, spoke to you. I spoke to a bunch of people. It was going well. We had about 50,000 subscribers. But, you know, something, plus at the time I wasn't, you know, on point the way, you know, you are supposed to be. I was more making music and I was a rock star and I was just like not doing business. But I had someone that was my partner that was going to be the business part. And he kind of dropped the ball. And before I knew it, my my PR just was just PR and the it's never won anywhere. 
a couple of years later, SoundCloud popped up and it was the same concept of a community where you can post your music and everyone can hear it. That's what it was. So the company was originally called your you are session you are session you are session yeah because that is i'm 99 percent sure that's for one for sure one of the times we talked uh, when you were promoting that and now did you get you so it sounds like you got screwed in that deal pretty much so so did sound but i learned a lot the people that though you were doing it with turned it into soundcloud oh, no, 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 or no. soundcloud just took the idea i don't even know if they knew the idea if they found i don't know if we were that big for someone to jack it but it was the same idea, and just SoundCloud had better backing and better people behind it. And I mean, that's what it takes. You can have an idea, but it's all about the execution. Now, you said you learned a lot, and yeah. what we're going to get into this because you you have a few different businesses, and you're active behind the scenes in music, doing other even some un music, non music related stuff. Mm -hmm. But you you had said that you learned a lot. What did you learn about it? What were the? I mean, I imagine I mean, it was <laughs> certain mistakes not to make. Yeah, right? it, you know, at the time, you know, I trusted more than I should have. I um, took a back seat in things I shouldn't have taken a back seat of. Like, for example, in System, right? Like, I started the whole managing of it, the promoting of it. I was the one booking the shows. I was on point. You know, I was, like, on top of it. Yes, I was writing music with Darren and doing what we got to do and rehearsing and working, but I was on point. I was more about the business, too. In this company, I kind of just was, like, I'll promote it. I had the idea for it. Now you guys go make it happen. And I just kind of just be the rock star name. Yeah, yeah, I did that. And that doesn't work, man, especially when you don't know the crew that's backing it. You know, uh, I, I trusted them. They had they had things they had succeeded in. So I said, oh, this will be one of those. But, you know, everyone with one success has eight failures. Mm. So that's what that was. So early on and it, it we're here in L.A. where you're. You weren't born in L.A., right? No, I was born in Armenia. You were born in Armenia, but you moved to here to L.A. very early, right? Five years old. Five years old. Right, on, and moved to Hollywood. So you don't have any recollection of being in Armenia, obviously, at five years old. The only recollection I do have is, um, like, because it's a mountainous and, like, you know, it's cold in the winter, it's snow. So I remember snow. I remember, you know, holidays, and I remember just things like that. But I don't remember too much because I was... You know, so young, yeah. yeah. So you, what brought your family from Armenia to Hollywood? Just opportunity for us. What What did your dad do? My dad at the time was a tailor there, but when he came here, there was no, you know, he didn't know how to get a job. We, had, you know, we probably had two hundred dollars in our pocket, and because at the time, you, uh, Armenia was a republic of the USSR. It was one of those republics. It wasn't its own like free country. Mm -hmm. So it was rough. The borders were closed. We had to first become citizens of rome we traveled to italy lived there as refugees for like six months four to six months and uh i remember little things you know from the travel sure. you know and then we moved to queens and then we were there for about a month and then moved to Mer to la hollywood wow I, she did I, some jumping around yeah there. man at five years old at five years old and then you come to hollywood and then does your family uh does your dad find work pretty quickly or was it rough? I mean, it's I not, think, no, it was rough, bro. I imagine it would be hard. He, uh, was like, thank God they knew the language there. My dad was, uh, you know, they all went to school there and he, you know, my mom was a linguist there. She knew like seven languages. So when they came here, they knew how to speak the language and, um, which made them a little easier to find a job. Right. And I think he worked at CNR or something like that, one of those like clothing places as the same thing where he's trying to keep the tailor thing going, but right. didn't work out. I remember at some point he started driving a lunch truck and you know, he was just he, he was trying his best to support his family. 
whatever he could do, you know. And then my mom worked also uh, all day. I remember, you know, just being raised by my grandma for at least the first five, six years of us being here. You still have both your parents? I have both my parents now. Do they no. still live here in, in L.A.? Yeah, yeah. They do? Yeah. And for you as a kid making that adjustment, um, which, again, you're so young, you really don't know, I'm sure, what's going on, but what were what was it like for you growing up here in, in Hollywood? Wasn't it because you weren't from this country and, and uh, I don't know if you, did you speak English at that point? I didn't speak, I, I, I never went to school there, so I kind of like started the whole going to school education here. Uh I knew words I didn't know I wasn't fluent, but I got fluent fast. Right. I started pre-kindergarten and then went to first grade. I didn't go to kindergarten. It was in pre and then first. And um, it was a culture shock, of course. And I, I do remember, I mean, I learned everything in Hollywood. You know, I grew up on Kingsley and Sunset and Fountain, which is like where the gangs were all going off. There was hookers on the streets, homeless everywhere. And this was all new things for me. So it was a rough area. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you, so you come, so now the other, of course, everybody in System of a Down is Armenian, right? Yeah, true. So that was by design? Did you, did you no. make, did you make friends with those guys early on or yeah. when did you get to know them? Well, I was rehearsing in a, at a place called Nightingale Studios in Burbank and uh, I was with a band called Roswell and I was just started playing bass because I was a guitar player from young and I just couldn't find a bass player that played like the way I like for a band that I liked, like it was either they were virtuosos or they were just picking up the bass and they couldn't play two notes with a good rhythm, you know? Right. And I believe in a bass player being like meat and potatoes and um, just keep the rhythm of the band. And that wasn't happening. Be the anchor. Be the anchor. So I picked up the bass and uh, just started playing. And they were rehearsed at Darren and Serge were rehearsing in a studio right in the same complex with a band called Soil. And they were just brand new. They had like three songs. And I knew them from our elementary school back in the day, but I didn't know them as friends. I just knew that they went there. Um, so it was like seeing them was like a reunion. Oh, you went to that school. You're playing in a band. What do you do? We kind of clicked, you know? And then but it, I'm sure that the click also happened because you were all Armenian, right? That there was yeah, but some... there was other Armenians around that were musicians too. Just oh, there like, was? Yeah. We kind of like migrated to each other. Kind of, It just happened where the three of us clicked mm -hmm. and then came our first drummer Andy mm -hmm. well okay let me go back Soil the drummer was Hawaiian dude named Domingo um, shout out to him he's in Hawaii I still get hit from him from on on Facebook and stuff which is really cool mm -hmm. and um, I was managing they asked me because I was you know I was like talking and I was a, bit, a big fan of the style of music that they were playing uh, they asked me if I would manage and get them shows I said sure you know, like you, you speak well, go, you know, can you do this for us? Sure, I can. As I'm doing that, they kind of fall apart. The drummer uh, moves to Hawaii. They get rid of the bass player. And they, Darren asked me, do you want to join and start another project? There's no more soil. I'm like, dude, that's crazy. But yeah, sure. And uh, Roswell was, no, nothing was happening with that project. We were just playing like a few songs. We didn't have any shows. Mm. And uh, the rest is history, bro. We kind of got... This guy, Andy, who we knew also from back in the day, he played <clears throat> for a while. And then we were like, I mean, a lot of time passed. We were playing shows in L.A. And right before we were about to get picked up, he smacked the wall, broke his arm in like 10 different places. And he couldn't play with us anymore. And John filled in and kind of stayed. I had the gig ever since. Before yeah. we go into System of a Down stuff, I wanted to go back a little bit. 
You want some AC? Yeah, please. Can, can you try and make a cooler in here? Thank you. Um, so, so uh, I want to go back sooner if I can, or earlier. So you're five. Mm-hmm. You're here in uh, getting your getting acclimated here in Hollywood, and then where does the music bug hit you? Where do you get into music? Where what what do you first hear? What inspires you to become a musician? I think I had the bug from all the way in Armenia because my mom had a lot of records. She had like the Beatles records, like all in Russian, written in. I still have those records, by the way. So and I listened to like Boney M. I remember that. Uh, there was this other African dude named Afric Simon that I used to listen to. And I said, dance around. My mom would say, you'd like perform at four years old, just like run around. We played music and you would pretend like you're lip syncing and dance and stuff. I don't remember that, but she says I didn't. I was always had that in me. Yeah. When we came to LA, I remember seeing a mural of Kiss. And I was like in, on Sunset somewhere. It was like a. Uh, now, like, what like year are we talking 79. about? 79. 79, okay. Yeah. And I was just taken by that. Like, wow, how cool is that? Like, they have guitars and they have makeup on. I didn't know there was music, you know? Right. And then I saw them <clears throat> on Solid Gold in 79. And my mom let me stay up and watch it. And then that was it. I was like, dude, you could do that? Like, that's something you can do? <laughs> you know, like, like you could play music and, like, put makeup on it, you know, and, like, yeah, yeah. perform? That's amazing, right? So I wanted to do it forever. And, but my mom never got me an instrument. She was just... I guess it was this whole thing of like from Armenia being uh, being an artist or being like a musician. You're poor. You're um, you know in Armenia. You're it's not. It's not you're, something uh, you no. can make a lot of money with. So um, that's why I didn't get an instrument for a long time. And then around like 13 years old, my grandma got me a guitar from Guitar Center, a Kramer XL, and that was it. I just like played on my own all day, all night. No, and it was guitar. No it was guitar. Even though you're a bass player, you're known as a bass player. It was guitar. It was guitar. Yeah, I started playing bass six months, like maybe seven months prior to start playing with System. Like so, <laughs> yeah. like so many other musicians, it's it's the the bug started with Kiss. It was the, it did Kiss, Kiss planted the seed. It did. I swear. Did you did. did you get to go see them? Did you did yeah. you so when did you first out, see them? That's funny. So it turns out. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. So it turns out that the person that owned my building in Hollywood... Sorry for all the noise. No, that's okay. This, this, this mic is really hot. Yeah, it's, it's all good. <laughs> so um, the person that owned the building was a hairstylist. And I guess she did Gene Simmons' hair, right? So I remember one day I was like 13 or 14, and my mom was talking to the lady that... The, the daughter of the lady that owned the building that we lived in, right in Hollywood. And, uh, oh, yeah, my son is a big fan. I was like, what are, you, what are you talking about? And I guess they were talking about Gene Simmons. And, oh, if he's a big fan, whenever he comes into town, they have a show here. We get tickets. Don't worry about it. We'll hook you up and your son. So it came around. It was, is this around 79? No, no. This Later. is I was 13 at now at this point, you know. Oh, so like, this is probably the non-makeup, non-original. Non-makeup. Night. This is like, yeah. I think, Crazy Nights. Oh, way later. Okay. Yeah, or wait. Crazy Nights animalized. would have been 87. It, 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 no, it was animalized. Okay. It was animalized because okay. there was Heavens on Fire on there. Okay. So they played Costa Mesa with Anthrax. I remember that. It was Anthrax, Allison Chains. No, it wasn't Allison Chains. That was something else. But it was Anthrax and Kiss. Okay. And my dad took me. It was Costa Mesa Amphitheater. And we had like six pro seats. And then they got us backstage passes. So I was. I went backstage. I got to meet them. I, I met Eric Carr, bro, which was really cool. I just, Eric was a yeah. dear friend of mine. Well, that's. A, I, I loved Eric. I God, miss Eric to this God day, rest man. His soul, man. Yeah, he was. Uh, 
He was a sweetheart of a guy. And I'm sure now System started in ninety well, Eric was already gone when System yeah. of a Down started. But System of a Down is a band that Eric Carr would have loved. Oh man. Because he loved stuff with like different changes and sounds and like he was like like uh a band that I worked with back in the day, King's X. Eric Carr loved King's X. We I, I love King's X. Yeah, so yeah. many people do. I mean, most musicians do. And Eric loved King's X. And Eric was such a ball buster and such a good guy and just so much fun. And uh, it's cool that you got a chance to meet him. I met, I met, first met him very randomly. I was a kid. kid when I was, I'm older than you. I'm 10 years older than you. But Kiss, for me, was my gateway band. And the first time I saw them... Was 1977 Madison Square Garden? That's the, I mean, that's the era. That's the. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's the, it. That's the. That's a live two that's tour in December hit, 77. Right? The biggest band yeah. in the world then. Yeah. And I went to that show, but then years later, when Eric had joined the band, and they, you know, at that time, the elder. That- <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, but at that time, Kiss was really down and out, like in America in the early 80s. They, they it took them a long time to. To really, it wasn't until the reunion tour that they got back to where they once I were. I remember seeing. Um, I used to watch this show, uh, Twenty Twenty Video, yeah, or something like what, the Video Twenty Two or something like that, yeah. And it was. Uh, I remember they premiered the Lick It Up video, and it was I, MTV did, yeah. When they took the makeup off, was it on off. MTV? Yeah, because I remember seeing this one premiere, and I remember running around the house looking for a VHS so I could re- yeah. record this thing, and I remember getting the last like twenty seconds of it and then yeah. watching that last yeah. twenty seconds the whole like for. Days and months, I should say. Yeah, but the crazy thing was, was that Kiss Kiss didn't even early '80s play uh, gigs like they, they they didn't play any gigs in America except for one for the Unmasked record, and they were going through this whole transition thing. But some friends of uh, some me and some friends drove to Massachusetts because I live in New Jersey to go see Kiss, and it was like a six hour drive. But we didn't want to take a chance that they weren't going to play in New York. And uh, we went up there, and I'll tell you, I had the most surreal moment with Eric Carr because we were just kids. I wasn't just, I was just shy a few years away from before I got into the business. And we were, we got a hotel room next to the venue where they were playing. And we go in there, we get some beers out, and we're playing our kiss music on the boombox. And we kept the door open to the hotel room because we're like, maybe some other kiss fans will come by, staying in the hotel, cool. and we'll, you know, get, we'll all hang. And, and we're we're playing Kiss records and drinking beer, getting pumped up for the show. And who walks in but Eric Carr? <laughs> That's crazy, bro. They, he was staying in the hotel on that floor. Wow. And that was the kind of guy he was. Like, he just blew our minds as kids. He's like, he would just walk hey, in, guys, yeah. what's going on? And we're like, oh, my God, oh, I shit. do that kind of. I did that kind of stuff. When we, yeah, it's like, I love that. That's yeah, and so then pr- we, we would have been bros, We man. gave That's him crazy. a Michelob, and we sat there, and we talked. And there's a photo of it. I, to this day, have a photo of it. Of, and then we ended up becoming great friends. Like, we stayed, in, and like as I got into the business, I helped him with some stuff. He was just a wonderful, So you knew him guy. prior to the business? Like being involved as a fan, we had a fan moment that is captured in this photo, and then later on, he put it. And I said to him, "I go, you know, I was the kid," and he's like, "What?" And I show him the picture, and he was just the best guy. It's it's such a even though he's been gone over twenty years, it's I think about him all the time. Such a a huge loss, and I've said this many many times when when all the years I did that metal show, he would have loved that because he was a ball buster, man. Mm. He loved to be practical, like practical jokes and ball buster. 
and talk to oh, you. Oh, he would have been I've like. Because I've watched that show a lot. Yeah, yeah he would have been with us constantly because he would have loved to have stirred the pot a little yeah. bit. But tons more stuff I want to get into with Shavo from System of a Down, who is here right now. This, this is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. You, you, we've got a lot of bottom men just walked into the room because Chavo's here from System of a Down. Robert DeLeo, who's just on with Eric from Stone Temple Pilots. What are you doing here again, man? You, you can't you. stay a no away from me, man. I'm I, like a magnet when I come to town. I came to see you, and you always bring great musicians together. So. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah, well, you guys are just meeting for the first yeah, time, right? Yeah. After all these years, we finally meet. I'm like an admirer, a fan. You oh, know, so. right back at you. Thank man. you, brother. I can't I believe that in, there wasn't a system of a down Stone Temple Pilots There was. Festival. There hasn't been. Maybe a festival somewhere, but I don't remember like where we actually yeah. communicated. We, and, yeah, we just yeah. Planned it. Oh, oh so today, yeah. We, <laughs> <laughs> it was like, Wait, we're breaking I got news. him on Instagram. <laughs> STP SOAD tour hey, coming yeah, out. Man, that would know? be awesome. That'd be fun. That, that would be that would be, a, that would be a good bill. That, that would be, would be fun. Yeah. yeah. It'd be very fun. 100%. So I have to go do my thing. You got to go do my thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pleasure, my dude. Yeah, right back at you, brother. Hell yeah. We'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. We'll I'll see you when I get off the air, man. All right. Enjoy. There it goes. Robert DeLeo of STP. Love that guy, man. He's the best. Yeah. Dropping by, saying hello. Great people. And we just had them on the from the rainbow the other day, which. You I was going to ask you how last night went. It went great. Yeah. Billy Gibbons on. We had a good time. Billy was awesome. And uh, I'm sorry I couldn't make it. Yeah, no, that's okay. We're My gonna... kids passed the test, by the way. So they have Taekwondo. They do Taekwondo for two years now. They have a seven-year-old, old? a five-year-old. Okay. Seven-year-old was taking the, the red belt test, which is right before black. And the five-year-old was going to the brown, which is right before red. So it was important. I take him. Of you know, course. I, I wanted to be there. You know, I was, yeah. yeah. So And then they passed. They flying colors. I was, I was like the proudest dad last night. <laughs> Do you do martial arts also? No. No. I wish I did. My, but... my son was really into kung fu and did it, for, uh, a, did it for many years and was really committed to it. And then, like, in the last year, just lost the interest in it. He's 11 now. But oh. he was really into it, and it you was know, really good for him at the time. My friend's kid, who actually, my friend's the one that got us to go there with the kids, uh, was there for two and a half years. Right when he turned 10, he wanted to, he quit it, which I'm thinking, you know, maybe I that's the age. I think they go through phases. Yeah. They go through different things that they're into, and, uh, you know, some, some like you just were saying before, you... You saw Kiss, you got the bass, you boom. got the bug, and boom, you've that been in music it. your whole life. Just knock on wood. It worked, you know. Earlier in the, before you got here, I took a call from a listener who was talking about seeing System of a Down here in L.A. before you guys were even signed. Mm. He talked about going to, I think he said, the Viper Room, and he got this early demo or this early cassette. So when the band comes together, I remember getting, I think it was a CD single for Sugar, which was probably the first time I had heard the band mm-hmm. and listening to it. And I had not heard anything like that before in my life. Like, I was like, this is wild, man. Like, Hell what's yeah. going on? Like, it was a completely different thing. When you guys came together, was what what sort of, like you said you grew up into Kiss and other things, I'm sure, as well, as you discovered. But what was the stew that created, like, of the four of you guys that – made this sound that is uniquely System of a Down. The, the band sounds like nobody else, which is a compliment. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, is. really, I mean, I that, take it it's that. incredibly unique. Yeah. Well, Darren and I bonded while he was in that so- soil band, and, like, whenever the bass player would put the bass down and go out to have a smoke, I'd get on the bass and we'd jam, because it was just, we kind of connected for some Because you were reason. playing guitar at I was time. playing guitar, but I'd grab his bass and I'd play, you know, bass, and 
we had a click. Like he, I'd play a bass line and he would be able to solo over it for 10 minutes. And that was a vibe that we caught. And uh, so I think that's where it was his idea of like, because I, I never thought like they were going to fall apart and Darren was going to ask a guy that's been playing bass for six months only to play because he'd already been playing guitar for like 10 years, you know? I was a rookie at the bass, even though I've been playing music for that over 10 years, but not bass. But it, I guess it's about the souls, you know, connecting and not the instrument length of how, how long I've been playing an instrument. Um, and then the music just started coming out, you know, the riffs we were, you know, coming up with and the drum beats we were putting behind the riffs kind of created a new style. Like we'd use Latin beats and Armenian beats with like metal riffs. Yeah. Which kind of did something different. And yeah. then, and then the one thing that really started like stood out was Serge's vocals because he really wasn't a vocalist be- prior to the band. He was maybe about a year. He had been singing around with Soil. Prior to that, he was a keyboard guy. And I, I remember Darren would give him CDs and say, listen to this. It was Sepultura and it was like obituary. And and he learned how to growl and all this stuff started happening. And no joke, the first year we were not sure he was going to be our singer because, mm. you know, he, was use- he, he wasn't a trained singer. He He didn't... He, he wasn't confident. If you watch our early shows, he depends on this little box that he would hit, like a little distortion box for his voice. Every time there would have to be a scream, he would hit that. You know, he got rid of that quick. When he got rid of that, I think is when we became like a real band, you mm-hmm. know? Like a, where I was like, okay, this is the unit. It's, it's us four, you know? When you're making music like that, now we're talking, what, early 90s at this point? Yeah, we started in 94, so 95. So you're... you're, you're making demos and you're out there working it and you're trying to get the attention of record labels and build an audience was it did it happen pretty quickly for no, you or not did at all. you got you guys worked the scene here in LA yeah, a lot dude, I was working at a bank doing wire transfers at first interstate bank I was going to college I was managing the band and I was rehearsing at nights we didn't have much money so it was hard for us to make a demo it wasn't like we had computers nowadays where you could just throw you right. know record a demo in, at, in your house we had to, it was at least going to cost us about $1,000 to put something together because you had to get the tracks, go, you know, get someone to do it for you. I, we, we weren't engineers. So we couldn't get a show. It was hard to get a show. We had like eight songs. We didn't have a demo. So I was calling places up, the Roxy up left and right, and they would hang up on me. I'd say, hey, you know, this is ba- and travel from System of a Down. Who? System of a Down. It's a weird name. We were using down as a, a noun because we put the A in front of it. That word becomes a noun. <clears throat> so... What was, was, the, just, was that always the the name of the band, System of a Down? Yeah. And where did you get No, them? it started with Victims of a Down, which was a poem that Darren had written, but I wasn't happy about the word victims. I just didn't want to be called a victim for the, my whole right. life. Right, makes know? sense. So, yeah, then yeah. When we, someone said system, and it was like, boom, that works, because it's, it's stronger. You know, it's, a, it's the whole thing that we're a part of. The victims are a part of a system. Mm. So that's how it became a name. So anyways, um, backing up again, so I was doing wire transfers in between wire transfers. It was like, thank you for calling First Interstate, blah, blah, blah. And then going <laughs> and then calling the Roxy up. Next call is the Roxy. Hey, we're, this is Shavo. I need a show. Uh, they would hang up on me since I'd have a demo. And I'd keep calling back. It was it was Eddie Ortel at the Roxy. I know Eddie. Of course you do. Eddie's a tour manager. <laughs> and he's a great dude. Hey, guess who's... Guess his first tour managing job. You guys? Yep. I didn't know that. We that, took him out. We took him Dr. from the rocks. Dr. Evil. <laughs> <laughs> so props to him. Eddie's awesome. Yeah, so he would hang up on me all the time. And he one, was booking the Roxy. He was booking. He was the in-house guy at the Roxy, the, the sound guy, and the, the guy that booked the show. Now, were you were you getting gigs elsewhere? We was had no r- gigs. I've never played a gig in my life. At I, that point, I, at that point, I've never <laughs> played. And I would call. I played at my college like auditorium once for like a uh, 
assembly or something. But of all the venues in L.A. I would call Roxy Whiskey. Oh, you called them I all. I would call them all, but I would get hung up on by everybody. <laughs> they, they wanted a demo tape, and I didn't know how. I was like, dude, we don't have a demo tape yet. Like, so you're we, just a band nobody's ever heard of, and no you're cold calling clubs saying, I want a gig. Yeah, because we had a rehearsal place, and we would call our friends and they would watch us play they'd be like dude you should take this to a show I'm like okay we should like we'll all come I'm like I know but like it's hard to get a show so at some point Eddie gave me he's like dude stop calling I'm like listen I'm gonna get a show he's like here's a number whose number is this it was a guy named Brian Markovich some uh, LA's scene promoter called him up after two times getting hung up on the third time I called him he's like can you sell tickets I said yeah I'll sell tickets and he gave me 75 I met up with him he gave me 75 tickets for a show. He, he booked us for a Tuesday night. It was May 28th, 1995. What was the venue again? It was Roxy. Roxy. It okay. was May 28th, 1995. And uh, How much did you have to sell the tickets for? How much were they? 10 bucks or 11 bucks. So you had to, co- you had to come up with 750 bucks yeah, basically to yeah, play the game. exactly. We sold about 140. I, I came back and asked for more tickets. Ooh, yeah. oh. He, his and eyes, how did you do that? Did you, you we call had in a favors? Lot of friends. A lot of friends? A lot of friends, bro. Like, I was going to school. <laughs> Give me 10 bucks. No, it was like, no, we're going to play now. We're finally going to play a show, So, every, but you have to support us. Were you selling them at the bank? <laughs> oh, that'd be funny. <laughs> no, just I was still going to school, remember? So right. I was at school doing it. I had a mailing list written up, and I would walk around school like like a with a pamphlet going, hey, you want to join our mailing list? Like, what is this? Like, you know, just yeah. I was that guy, dude. I was like going to make this happen, you know? And um, so we played. So the show was this. It was seven bands. Uh Six ska bands and us. It was like three, and then they put us as the fourth band, and then three other ska bands. And it was like 35 people in the whole place for the first three ska bands. We get on, 150 people come in, and we're heavy, right? So like the pit, and we have this guy with a big long beard singing, and like we're talking about the Armenian <laughs> genocide. Yeah, <laughs> We have this Armenian genocide like like banner up, and we're like talking about that, and like we're political. And there was, there was a paper there called the Rock City News. There was a guy that wrote for that. And um, he was the Prince of Darkness, Chris. And um, he wrote about it. He's like, something's going on in L.A. Something just happened. I witnessed something. Mm. I was at a ska show, and this band came out and blew up and then walked away. In 20, it was a 20-minute set. We played like six songs, five songs. Anyhow. All original. All original. Uh, wait, we might have, but we didn't do it. We have a cover that we used to do at the time for uh, Berlin Metro. But I don't, oh, okay. I, don't, I don't think we played that at A that heavy show. version of that? Oh, yeah. It's, uh, we actually, uh, it's on the Dracula 2000 soundtrack. Really? Yeah. All right, I yeah. have that. I have, yeah. to, I have to pull that out. It's pretty cool. I think it's on that one. It's, it's on one of those. Yeah. Um, same era. Excuse me. <clears throat> so Brian Markovich right away was like, can you do that again? Like, yeah, we can do that again. So then we got another one in, it was what, May 20th? So in June something, I think June 24th. I remember because I'm booking these shows, right? And uh, at the Whiskey. We did it again. We sold like two hundred. We just so the word that. was the out. Word was out, and then we never sold tickets again. And, and and I made sure we played a show every month, just to like keep the vibe yeah. alive. And we kept writing music and pushing it. And I would, I'd go to Kinkos and I would make stickers and flyers and I would cut them myself. And like there was no like major computer programs and you know, right. but I would be typing on a typewriter, putting on a Xerox, blowing it up to the size I wanted it to, cutting and pasting four on one page. Making the copies, cutting them with those big thing. You yeah, know. the big knife. Yeah, yeah, man, I did all that and I made stickers. Actually, the guy that's tied up, that's on the cover of all the old stuff, that's a friend of ours. And uh, you know, I think he was a little schizophrenic. He had he, he he had something going on, maybe Asperger's. You know, where he was like on the spectrum. He wouldn't talk, but he looked kind of wild. 
with that haircut and you look very like business like and I was like, What if we tie you up and write system of down on your chest and take pictures of you? He was amped to be that guy. So I did that, put him on the flyers and we're passing out flyers with this guy tied up. Resist move down. Like, what is this? Yeah. Actually, prior to having a show, I would make those flyers and I'd go to like corn shows and like Deftone and I'd pass these flyers out. They'd be like, what is the system of down? I'm like, oh, you'll find out one day. Yeah. Just getting the name. I was a marketing thing, you know, and I didn't know I was marketing. I didn't know I was branding. Yeah. I was just yeah. doing what I thought should be done. Of course. And, and it was Rick Rubin who signed the band, right? At that Viper Room show that you were just mentioned. And he came in and he said, this is, this was something you wanted to bring on his label. And of course. He came through and he just. I remember it was a big deal that, you know, got Rick Rubin at your show, you know, and this is after a while we've been playing. We have a bunch of labels after us, but no one's throwing a deal out. Not one person put a deal out. There was like four or five labels there, every show. Mm. And bands like Snot had gotten picked up already. Cold Chamber got picked up. All these other bands coming up, they were picked up, not us. Mm. And uh, all of a sudden they said, Rick's coming to your show. I'm like, fuck, that's so rad. He came to the show. I saw his head. It was a small place, the Viper Room. From stage, you could Real see small, every yeah. audience member. And he was bobbing his head. And then afterwards, he met us outside and said, I want that. He just said it right away. And, he, and the next day, there was a deal on the table. Wow. So everyone started throwing their deals. Oh, shit. Rick yeah, Rubin's of course. Yeah. The, everyone comes out and follows the leader. Yeah. Of course. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Toby in Connecticut's been on hold for a while and uh, wants to get on the air here and say hello to Chavo. Go ahead, Toby. Hey, Chavo, man. It's awesome to talk with you again. I haven't talked with you since, gosh, 97. <laughs> oh, wow. What's I, up, my brother? I used to, I used to, uh, my buddy was a writer for Rock City News, and I used to, to tag along as the photo- photographer. And I remember seeing you guys at the Roxy and seeing you guys at uh, the Dragonfly. And, yeah, the man, Dragonfly. Those, wow, those shows were those shows. so electric. Oh my god! Yeah, thank you, and I, thank you, bro. I want to thank I want to thank you guys as a fellow Armenian for really bringing a using your star stardom to really help bring some focus to the Armenian genocide and to um, it's something I grew up with my great grandmother telling me the stories of what she went through before she came here. Um, my question is. As a, as, even with the new stuff you're doing now, how how do you continue to bring that Armenian voice? How do you see that Armenian voice coming out in your creativity? Because I'm Armenian, and when you're Armenian and you have a past like we all do, it's in you forever. So it's not something that's ever going to come out of me. You know, it's just I'm born with it. I'm going to die with it. Mm. You know. So but, if I have an opportunity to I speak mean, about it, yeah. How, how would you, how do you, as it, you know, I mean, it's, it's not, it's a hard subject to bring up. What are, for myself as an artist, what are some ways to kind of really uh, bring it in without like bringing down the room, so to speak? You know what I'm saying? Well, you know, I speak about it in interviews and you don't always have to be negative about it, even though it was so negative, but look where we are now, bro. You know what I mean? You can't always talk about how it was and how shitty it was. We're at a place now where we can talk about it. People know who we are. People know our genocide occurred. I think that's a good thing. It's not a, it's not sad anymore. It's sad what happened, of course, but we can't live in the past. We can't live in with misery. We have to kind of think of the present and the future and think of how good we can make it. So but just by talking about it and by, you know, just that keeps it alive and that keeps our souls alive. Toby, thank you very much for the call. Um, did it amaze you, Shavo, and the rest of the guys, how big System of a Down 
became making music the way you made it, that it's uncompromising, it's not commercial, it's very unique, but you were very embraced and still are by rock radio, and these days when you play, I mean, the band headlines festivals, I mean, you guys can play anywhere and pull 15,000, 20,000 people easily on your own. Yeah. It's, It's remarkable to me, not because I don't think the band's good or anything like that, but it's remarkable to me the the type of music you make and how different and unique it is and and doesn't really fit in a box. I think and that's it's connected why, you know, a in bit. such a way. Does that shock you guys? It shocked me in the beginning. Now I'm just rolling with it. You know, I am. I, we're blessed. I I can say that. You know, and we've just stayed true to what we're doing. We haven't. I guess we haven't done too many extra things. And you know, I mean, we're just doing what we do, bro. And if it's taken well, and like I said, we're blessed for it, and I'm so thankful for it. So what is the status of the band now? Because would it be safe to say there's a level of dysfunction? Most great bands yeah. have some push-pull well, among the members. Would you say that's accurate? It's, it could be accurate. I mean, we haven't made a record for 12 years. Uh, we do play live still. We do tour uh, not as often as I would like to, but I am blessed for being able to still do it. Um you know what I mean? We're we're not like when we're put together, the four of us, we're not hating on each other. We hang out, we have a good time. It's just we haven't made music together, which is kind of frustrating, I'll be honest, because I know we can make the ball music together. Do you have are, are there fragments of songs? Yeah, have, have you there guys are. how far how far did you get? Like are there rough demos or are there recordings that no weren't recordings. finished? Two years ago we got together, the three of us, and we said you know the three of us minus Surge. Well, minus Surge because at the time he was doing a lot of solo stuff, and we're like, dude, we're, you know, we don't want to wait around. Let's just like get in there and see what we could do. And we got in and wrote about like ten, eleven songs, and like you know, Darren brought like seven, eight songs. I brought four or five ideas in that become songs, and they became songs. And minus Surge's vocals, of course, it was really good. It came out really great, and I hope to one day go back to those and use some of Surge's stuff. I know Surge's got some stuff in the. I don't know. We can do some. I'm. In my world, man, why isn't it happening is a big question. I think we can get over anything because it's not like someone's done anything so horrible that we can't get over it. Ain't nothing like that. It's just differences, creative differences that are lasting a little too long for me, in, you know, for my taste. Are you, do you still, <clears throat> you still have a record deal? Yeah. So you owe, is the, I imagine 13, 14 years, the label must be the label's on you like, like crazy saying, Well, they were on us for a while. Now they're like, they'll do it when they do it. You know, when they do. Well, that's pretty cool yeah. to be, have that sort of, and your manager, is he kind of like trying to. Oh, he's, he's like, <laughs> he's that choir. <laughs> you know, every day we get a call. Trying to put you guys in the same room together to make music. Yeah. Yeah. But just, there's no timetable for it. No. None. I wish there was. I wish I, I can could, see I the frustration. I could, yeah, in you dude. When I you wish say I could that. tell you. I wish I could tell you. Yeah, dude, we're doing this, but you know, it's just not happening. At but the what moment. I can't get a handle on is why. Like, is are you? Is somebody? Is it hard to connect? Are there tensions? Is something that have to be smoothed out? I. At the, it's been so long. I don't even remember why we're not going in there at this point. Because they think it's hard you know for I mean? fans to understand how a band could get together to play live. And, but can't write us two together. I get you. go make a record or make I'm, a song. I'm one of those fans that has that <laughs> question. <laughs> I swear to God, dude. I, mean, like, I really would love to have done it. I mean, if like I said, if it was up to me, we would have never stopped. We would have been on our probably ninth or tenth record now. And, when, was the last, when was the last time you guys played live? Uh, a few months ago. 
Was it here in America? Yeah, we played Chicago Open Air. Oh, okay. And then we also right. played uh, Sonic Temple Festival. Well, in big o- festivals. Yeah, in Ohio. And then we did, we did a little run um, in October of all the Southern California cities. We played L.A. We haven't played L.A. for years. And where did you play here in L.A.? We played San Bernardino. We we clocked in at 45,000 people. 45,000 yeah. people. Yeah. And you were the headline. Or were the, you were, it was your show. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. That's insane, bro. <laughs> and we're not making a record, bro. But let me tell <laughs> you crazy. something. Well, that speaks to the power of your catalog. Yeah. Even though, what is it, four, six, five albums. Five albums. Yeah. So it speaks to the power of the catalog. As crazy as this sounds, because most people, myself included, think of System of a Down as a newer band, but you actually have now uh, tw- 20, 20 years. 23. 23 tw- years. 23 years, yeah. You've, so as crazy as this may be, you're actually... A, Maybe in a younger generation's classic rock, believe well, it or I've, not, we've become that. A lot of yeah. people who who see me nowadays, they like they go, "Oh, you're my childhood." I'm like, "Oh, am I that old now?" <laughs> I was ten you when know? I heard you, and now I'm thirty. Yeah, that's what they're saying. But th- th- that happens, and yeah. it blows your mind when it, it happens. Does. It's like when people tell me, I, I run into people who meet me, like I watched you. They're like thirty years old. And they're like, I watched you when I was a little kid on that <laughs> metal show. I'm like, what? <laughs> you're like thirty. You're like, oh shit, what the hell just happened? I'm with you, bro. <laughs> um, but there's that, and here's the other thing. And when you and I hung out. At John Five's birthday party a couple weeks ago, I mentioned this to you. The fact that I think a lot of bands are guilty of overplaying and overexposure, where they play so much that it's not an event to see them and it damages their draw. There is, I think, something to less is more, where you don't see each other, it becomes an event, your guarantees go up, more people turn up because they know that every month they're not going to have a chance to see you. And I think System of a Down benefits in a way from that as well because it's more of an event when you actually do come together to play. Very true. I also think it has to do with the fact that, like, we started off as a live band. You know, we were, we played live. We didn't start off recording albums. So when we're up there, we're having a blast. And I think everyone could tell. I think our stage performance is not a joke. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, when we're up there, we're not joking and we're playing our asses off. So that could be part of it. Because, you know, I don't. But I know what you're saying, and I, yeah. I agree with it. Yeah, it makes it more of an event. But, but like I said, I'm blessed to have been able we don't have an album for 13 years, and we're, we yeah. can do that. So, you know, knock on wood. Yeah. Knock on wood. As a know? headline, that's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have five minutes left. I want to give you the opportunity to talk about what you are doing outside of the band, because you've got a lot of things you do. You're a businessman. You've got. I know you do some artwork. You've directed videos. Mm-hmm. You were telling me here where we're sitting, very nearby, you did some uh, scored Mortal Kombat or something yeah, like yeah. that. Right I know you have a cannabis business, which you told me about at John Five's here. In California, cannabis weed is legal uh, in other parts of the world as well. So in the five minutes we have, what do you want the audience (laughs) to know about the things that you've got going on? Okay, I started a a brand called 22 Red. I've been smoking cannabis for about 23, 24 years now. And it be, it's helped. It helps you with. It totally helps me, man. I I used to use Xanax and stuff back in the day. I went in for that. I got that out of my system, and I haven't touched a pill. I haven't touched a painkiller for four years. I do a little CBD, and it takes away that edge that makes people go to the pill. You know, um, it's so. Anyway, that got me into the whole CBD world, and then of course I smoke THC. So, and I know the best growers, and I know the you know all the best spots. So I kind of recruited all the growers that I love and got some strains together that I think 
should be smoked by the masses. We're growing it. We're selling it. Um, it's going pretty well. We've been live. We've been selling since November of 2018. We, we dropped in 11-11, uh, 2018. We're in about 50 stores in Cali now. Um, our CBD, you can buy online at 22redcbd.com. We have four flavors. It's uh, zero THC. It's hemp-based CBD, full spectrum. Um, what else? Uh, we have it's a lifestyle brand, so I'm also dropping some of the new music that I'm making in this because I'm in the studio every night. I'm still making music. I on your own on my own. I have a new project called North of Kingsley. Uh, it's because I grew up on North Kingsley Drive right here in Hollywood, and it kind of it's my past, you know. And since I'm doing it on my own with two new guys, um, it it just fits. It's just perfect because I could talk about it and I get passionate about it because that's where I got my life and that's where I learned about everything. You know, yeah. I, I grew up on that street, so it's like everything I, all the wor- bad things and the good things all came from there. Um, and uh, the, the the music's coming around. Uh, we will be dropping sometime early next year, I think. Um, the new band, the new group, yeah, yeah. North of Kingsley. And you can follow me, Shavo Dajan, on Instagram. You can follow Twenty Two Red LA on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And uh, I hope to be playing live soon with you guys and have you guys check it out with both bands, System and uh, you know. Is there North some stuff Kingsley. cooking with System for live shows? Things I can't talk about, but yes, always we're always cooking and. 2020 looks bright. Okay. Yeah. So for people that are fans, it's uh, there's there's some reason for optimism for System of a Down. Yeah, for shows and stuff. But I can't, you know, talk about anything just yet. But um, hopefully, I can soon. Okay. Yeah. Well, when you're ready, we yeah, should yeah. definitely have you on to continue uh, talking about that. And you're still doing scoring stuff as well. I haven't recently, but the last thing I did was that Mortal Kombat thing, and then I've also scored a film uh, called Babylon AD. About 10 years ago, I did that with Vin Diesel. Uh, that was like a great trip. Everyone wants to go see that movie. It was a great movie, but I think the score is a little out there because mm-hmm. that was my first time I actually got a film, you know? Yeah. So I went full, I put like Quiet Riot in there. I put Sepultura in there. It was great. Like I used all my childhood music <laughs> to score a film with some of my original stuff. So with, you, uh, with the Rizzo from Wu-Tang. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, him and I scored that together. And you actually uh, directed some of the early system videos, right? I directed... Uh, the chop suey thing was my concept, but I had Marco Siega direct it and make it because I didn't know how to do that. When I did that, I did Toxicity on my own, used his crew. That was my first video that I wrote and directed. And then I did Aerials. I did Question, Hypnotize. That's it, I think. Yeah, maybe I'm missing Would one you two, like to I, get into doing that more? And would you I do love that doing for it. other bands? Of course I would. I just, um, and I'm being. Recently, a few bands have approached me, but it's a little rough right now with all the other stuff going on. Plus, I got three kids, got the family, so I just don't want to spread myself too thin. But it's something I love to do. It's like I love writing to music, painting to music. So when you film, when you make film to music, it's it's very satisfying. How old are your kids? I have an, a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a sixteen-month-old. Wow. So, and you know what I just realized? None of your kids have been alive when a system of a down nope. record is coming. They have not. <laughs> Actually, that show I'm talking about in LA was the first time my boys got to see me and I took them on stage. It was like a, one of those moments. Oh, you know? wow. Yeah, where they actually understand now and they're yeah. like, wow, is this my dad? You know? So, I was just reading some press with Tool's new album coming out and it's been 13 years since they released a record and they got a record coming. And the writer, I think it was in um, Revolver magazine, he said, since the last Tool record, there was. There was no Twitter. There was no Instagram. Truth. There was no Facebook. Us there was too. No social media. Us too. There was nothing. Like all of that stuff is like when you put it in that perspective, it's like, oh my God, that's been so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, but hopefully, you know, 
Who knows? Knocking Somewhere down wood. the line, I'm you guys find a way to get in a, a studio and make music. And in the meantime, you're just going to have to settle for playing a 45,000 as a headliner every once in a while. That's not so bad. <laughs> no, I'm okay with it. Hey, man, it, thank you for coming in. My it's pleasure, great to man. talk to you, man, and thank keep us posted me. and hang anytime you want. Well, great talk there with Shavo, and uh, we'll keep an eye on all his upcoming projects. Good guy. Very cool to have him come in the studio and hang out with us there. And also thanks earlier to Head and Jonathan of Corn who dropped by the New York City studio of Trunk Nation, which you hear every day on volume, Sirius XM Channel 106. Thanks to Katie Irizarry. She is the producer of the podcast as usual. Also, quick note, quick shout out to Tool, who finally released their new album, their first in 13 years. A great reaction to it. Incredible record, really. The the undertaking, you could hear why it took them 13 years when you hear the record with all those 10-minute songs on it. They've announced some tour dates, and those dates include two shows in my home area of New York and New Jersey. The dates are the 16th of November, the Prudential Center in Newark, the 19th of November, the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, and those tickets are going on sale uh, tomorrow at noon at Ticketmaster.com. And I'm going to be giving away some tickets on my website, eddytrunk.com. So if you go to my site, you'll see an area called ET's Box Office. If you're in the New York or New Jersey area and you'd like to enter to win tickets to those tool shows with special guest Killing Joke, be sure to hit my site because we'll be announcing the winner soon and enter only for the New York and New Jersey show. But it's a pretty cool prize, so good luck on that. EddieTrunk.com. Find ET's box office. I think it's under live and on the air. I'm not sure. And you can enter your information, and we'll uh, we'll announce some winners uh, shortly after the tickets go on sale for the New York and New Jersey show for Tool, which will be a hot ticket and heavily, heavily anticipated concerts for sure. All right, so thank you guys for listening. Next Thursday, you know the deal. I'm back with another all-new episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Twitter, Instagram, at Eddie Trunk. Fan page on Facebook, at Eddie Trunk. EddieTrunk.com, the official website. Music news updated daily. And you can email me through the site and all sorts of great stuff. If you become an all-access member of the site, you can hear my terrestrial radio show on demand anytime you want. Have yourselves a great week, and I'll see you next Thursday for a new episode.
Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music field trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com.